0: Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Hey friends, welcome to the Upshade Podcast. Dan the Fitness Man here. What's up? Today, cool podcast. Going to sit down with a gal who is the Executive Director of the New Mexico Outfitters Association. So she's going to be on the other side of the fence of this series that we've been doing on the privatization of elk hunting. And she is an awesome individual. She does a bang up job on this podcast. So We're going to present the other side's approach to the E-Plus Program in New Mexico And it's really cool because we've had this podcast scheduled for quite a while. Carrie reached out a while back when she heard the first couple episodes and she wanted to present her case. And obviously, like I said, I was honored to have her on. She does a really good job and she really opened my eyes to her side of the view as well, uh, putting me kind of right back in the middle after this conversation. So I want you guys to listen and see where you stand. Do your own due diligence, do your own homework, gather up the facts and figure out what you think is best for New Mexico And the whole idea of privatizing elk hunting going forward. It's been a crazy week for me with all the Matt Ranella and uh, some of the other stuff that's going on here. And uh, I tell you what, man, we're just going to keep putting out what we do, which is I'm selling hard work. I'm selling leveraging elk hunting. That's what I'm selling. I appreciate you guys' support man, because you know I do know there's a lot of podcasts out there. It's very diluted with podcasts. So if you choose ours, I appreciate that. Sorry about my voice. I actually wore my voice out doing too many podcasts this week. We got a lot of awesome episodes coming up in the hopper. But today we're gonna sit down and listen to Carrie explain. Her side of the story when it comes to New Mexico privatization of elk hunting, the E plus program, landowner tags, and all that stuff. I find it very pertinent to us, you know, elk hunters that go out west. And uh, New Mexico is just one of the greatest states when it comes to elk hunting, so it's on my radar. Without further ado, this is Carrie Cox Romero talking with me, Dan Staten, on the Elk Shape Podcast. Here we go, guys. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. We are rolling, and uh, this is a fun. Like I guess we're continuing the series. Of the public land versus the private elk tag situation, where we're circling back to New Mexico, I made a statement, probably several, uh, that were, "Hey, if you're a landowner, hey, if you're an outfitter, come on the podcast and share your side. Um, we'll we'll hear you out. Because here's the deal: I am not concerned with." you know who you voted for for president or who I voted for because like I still regardless of where you land on the political spectrum or beliefs or values like I'm gonna hear you out and I may not agree and with my guest today I may not agree but I will still respect their side and I want to hear them out and um I think the as you as the older you get I think the more tolerant you become or the more compassionate you want to hear other people's or maybe you actually get more stuck in your ways. But today joining us is Carrie Cox Romero. Carrie uh, is going to introduce herself. She's taking the time out of her day. She reached out mad respect and her and I may argue a little bit today, but I doubt it. We'll, We'll just have a conversation. We'll hit record and you guys will learn some stuff. Carrie, how are you?
1: Thanks, Dan. Yeah, I'm doing good. Appreciate you having me on today. appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience.
0: Oh, I'm excited to have you. Uh, So let's go ahead and have you introduce yourself.
1: Sure. My name is Carrie Cox Romero. I'm the executive director of the New Mexico Council of Outfitters and Guides. Uh, My technical title is executive director, but I'm essentially a lobbyist. I lobby on behalf of the outfitter and guide industry in New Mexico and also non-resident hunter opportunity. I get painted into a, a sort of a robotic picture a lot of times as this, uh, high powered lobbyist of foreign interests. But in reality, I'm a New Mexico resident. I'm born and raised in New Mexico. I'm an, I'm a resident hunter. My kids are not, are resident hunters. My husband is a resident hunter. So I love this state and, uh, you know, we hunt public land. I'm passionate about public land issues just as well as private land issues. So, um, you know, I think it's important for everybody to realize that I, I'm not a robot. I am a human and I do care about this state.
0: So you said you're a hunter, right? Yeah. So
1: I'm kind of a novice. Um, I did not come from a hunting background. So uh, when I got the job with the council about 10 years ago, that was my maiden voyage into the hunting industry. I had zero knowledge of the hunting industry, but I think that, you know, over the years, it's, it's really been a good perspective to have because it, it helps me to communicate with the non hunting public because I come from a position of the non hunting public. So I really do empathize a lot with, with some of what they have to say. And so I think it's been, it's benefited me in the long run.
0: Okay. So you are executive director, New Mexico council of outfitters and guides or is that what you said? Yep. It was a mouthful. Okay. So that's your, that's your job. Like you have, like you were hired. That's who you work for.
1: Yep. It's okay. my nine to five.
0: That's your nine to five. Okay. As the director, executive director. So who, who's paying you? Like are all the outfitters have to pay like a, a fee? Is it optional? Like if you're an outfitter, like who funds New Mexico council of outfitters and guides?
1: Sure. So basically the easiest way to explain the Council of Outfitters and Guides is that we are a 501c6 nonprofit. We're a trade association. So I am paid through membership dues and it is not mandatory to be a member of the Council of Outfitters and Guides. Some places in North America it is mandatory to be a member of your outfitter and guide. Association Alberta is one that comes to mind, but in New Mexico, it is not mandatory. So it's all voluntary. We do have um, a large percentage of the overall outfitters that are licensed to operate within the state, probably about 80%, which is actually very high for an outfitter and guide association.
0: Okay, that's cool. And honestly, so you you're basically lobbying, you have their best interest, you're promoting things that help keep them in business, on the political front on some of the issues through the state, maybe even advertising or best practices, business practices, I'm assuming like, um, just pulled up your website, you have a directory. So did they get to be on the directory for a part of their dues?
1: Uh huh. Yeah. So as long as they stay current on their membership dues, they can be a member uh, or they can be listed in the directory. Of course, we have various different ethics uh, obligations that our Outfitter members have to abide by. And so if there's a grievance, a hunter grievance, then we have a process that uh, we go through. And we do run into that from time to time. But basically our primary role as an organization is to maintain the integrity of the industry. So maintain the integrity of the outfitter and guide industry. And then also to advocate for the interests of the individuals who are earning a livelihood in the hunting and fishing industry. And and it's important to, to note we're hunting and fishing. So we represent fishing outfitter and guides as well.
0: Yeah, and that's a big deal. For sure, because when we had um, New Mexico Wildlife Federation, um, they were talking about some of the fishing uh, issues or whatever, water issues, and they brought that up. But yeah, any type of outdoor rec, guiding, hunting, fishing, that's you guys. one of my buddies is a member. Apparently I see that, which is good. And I can't scroll through the whole list, but that's great. Okay. So that kind of sets a precedent for like what, what you do. So and part- and I,
1: I do want to mention to your audience, cause I know that, you know, there's a lot of non-residents that, um, are members of your audience so we advocate not only the interests of the outfitter and guide, but we're we're also the only advocacy group that's advocating non-resident hunter opportunity. So I know that was something that you kind of got into the weeds with um, in some of your other podcasts, but I just want to uh, to say, don't be fooled by the resident preference organizations that say they speak on behalf of the non-resident do-it-yourself hunter. They are not advocating your interests. We are the only organization that advocates non-resident hunter opportunity.
0: Roger that. And I will say officially for you guys listening, I am not a resident of New Mexico. So at the end of the day, I'm just a a, a guy from over in Washington state who just loves elk hunting. But at the end of the day, like I want New Mexico to do what's best for New Mexico. If you live in the state, you pay the sales tax and, I'm sure you have an income tax maybe, and, like, that's your home. Like, yeah, like, I'm all about the people of New Mexico specifically, you know, the residents. Like, they get first right of refusal when it comes to managing their elk and having opportunity. And then, um, you know, sure, my dollars are, are are worthwhile if I hire a guide or draw a tag. Like, I spend way more, 10x, but, but um, from my perspective, it's not my – I don't have a big say in and what I think. In my opinion, doesn't matter as much as a residence is what I'm trying to say, and, and I believe that. So let's talk about the the couple podcasts I dropped. Uh, I did one with um, I think Joel Gay. He's with uh, BHA uh, of New Mexico, which I think I said on that podcast. I'm not. I'm a lifetime member of BHA. I did that many, many, many years ago, and I'm not like a proud lifetime member of BHA today. Like sometimes they do stuff that's kind of uh, it's just that's weeds that I don't want to get into but I'm not like I'm always watching keeping an eye on them I like their idea of you know supporting public land and water and clean water anyways BHA and then we went rolled into New Mexico Wildlife Federation had two guests from there and then we rolled into another one where I had several guests from Montana did you hear any of those podcasts
1: I did I listened the only one that I didn't listen to is actually the one where you talked about your experience um, with your New Mexico outfitter or the New Mexico landowner that you bought the tag from that one. I could not pull up for some reason. So I, I don't really have that context of that conversation, but um, I did want to say, I listened to the Montana podcast and um, it really, for me resonated from the standpoint, I don't know much about Montana. And I don't know exactly how their their fish and wildlife department manages their particular game species or allocates tags. It was really, really hard to follow. For someone that has no idea how the Montana system works, it was really hard for me to follow, even though it was kind of built on the premises that Montana is trying to do what New Mexico does. And I'm very familiar with what New Mexico does. It was really hard for me to follow. So for me, coming into this podcast, I just want to try and give a very layman's, easy, understandable idea of how the process works in New Mexico and why I feel, and as our association, we feel that the E plus system is mutually beneficial to all stakeholders, just from a very elementary level so that everyone can understand.
0: Okay, that sounds good to me. I will say the podcast you didn't hear I don't think it's imperative that you listen to it. I just think I came across a notorious bad Apple outfitter doing things that most outfitters do not do. But I basically publicly put them put the, the experience out there for people to understand. And I made it clear this was the exception, not the rule. And I've always said that the outfitters don't get paid enough. They work really hard. A lot of them are very blue-collar and they're world-class, and so this is not, like, I don't bash outfitters. I've hired outfitters. I don't bash private land. I've hunted private land. I've killed elk on private land, public land. Ultimately, I think we both agree, we want what's best for the elk and for the continuity of elk hunting opportunity going forward.
1: Agreed, and I appreciate you acknowledging that maybe your your circumstance was an exception to the rule, but I do want to sincerely apologize for what you experienced because it's a black eye on the industry. And I just, I hate hearing stories like that. I mean, there's, there's bad apples in every industry, but I just truly, I hate hearing bad experiences because it really is a black eye on the entire industry. And I acknowledge that.
0: Well, it's like me apologizing for anyone who trespasses knowingly. That's a public land elk hunter or poaches like, we can't apologize for those bad apples, but we can hold them, help hold them accountable and let people know that, hey, we're all trying to do the right thing. So tell me about your E plus program and shine the most positive light on it. Uh, I only have a couple corals with it and, and I'll pick those with you down the road, but I want to give this opportunity to maybe better explain it, simplify it and talk about it from your, from your view.
1: Okay, great. Yeah. So E plus is complicated, just like every state's uh, hunting industry, I find to just be like amazingly complicated. When I came into this industry, I was blown away by how complicated it is. So E plus is complicated to try and sort of melt it down to an understandable level. The E plus stands for elk private land use system. And it's the system through which the Department of Game and Fish, the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish, manages elk herds on private property. So the way that the Department of Game and Fish manages elk in New Mexico is on like a population basis in a in a game management on you know through each game management unit. Then they break that down from there into a percentage of public land and a percentage of private land, and that is how tags are distributed. So it's important to understand that in New Mexico, 50% of the elk habitat is on private property. So there's a lot of times that uh, individuals kind of complain about the fact that roughly 50% of the elk tags go to private landowners. But in reality, 50% of the habitat is on private property. So to me, it, it makes total sense that you would have roughly half Of the elk authorizations um, distributed through the private land system, tags in the private land system are not privatized. They are an opportunity to access and hunt on private property. So you're not guaranteed to kill is I guess what I'm trying to say. You're not guaranteed to harvest. Just like in the public land, when you're When you're issued a a permit through the draw, you're not guaranteed to kill that elk. It's an opportunity for you to hunt on public land. It's the same way that it works on private land. Now, those tags can be sold on the open market. And another thing that I should add, this is not unique. New Mexico is not unique. There are 13 Western states that have landowners tag allocation systems. And, um, you know, a lot of those systems, they go to the private landowner to be utilized by their family or friends. Seven of those states, New Mexico, Nevada, uh, California, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, I think I'm missing one, maybe Utah, offer transferable landowner tags. So basically they can be sold on the open market Yeah, definitely Utah. So um, they can be sold on on the open market and it is an incentive for landowners to continue and maintain and improve wildlife habitat on private lands. Because like I said, a huge percentage of the wildlife habitat in New Mexico is already on private lands. So that is why the system exists It's really important to understand that E plus tags are equal opportunity. You can buy a landowner tag as a resident just as easily as you can buy one as a non-resident. They are equal opportunity and the system is separate of the public land draw. So the private land system is completely separate of the public land draw. A lot of times in conversations, individuals like to kind of try to mesh the two together but they were built to be separate, and so it's best to talk about them separately. Where should I go from here?
0: That was great. I think most people do understand that a landowner tag is not a, certainly not a guarantee. You are still hunting. I think we all can appreciate that. I think what you're saying is that a landowner is incentivized to do their thing by having an open market, so that they could probably maximize dollars. Um, for the burden of having elk drink their water, eat their food, break their fences, whatever, whatever X. But the landowner is definitely agreeing, I'm assuming, you guys are as well, that the landowner doesn't own those elk. That uh, your association doesn't either. That they are in the state's trust. So there's you can't just be like, oh, those are on my property. I get to shoot them.
1: Well... No, you can't do that. Although New Mexico does have a law, the Jennings Law, which is which provides a landowner ability the ability to protect their um, their livestock, their livelihood, their life from wildlife um, in the event that you know their their life is is, is at stake, and that and that's also clearly part of the North American model. People have the right to protect themselves, and so the Jennings Law is. New Mexico's way of providing that that ability to a landowner, should they need to protect their private property. And it, it's a controversial discussion, but I will say the Jennings law is not utilized that often. And the reason the Jennings law is not utilized for elk have value on private property, elk have value. So there is an incentive for the landowner to not kill those elk because they are in competition for forage with their cattle or because they are eating their irrigated cropland or whatever it be. So it it does get used sometimes, which kind of goes back to the bad apples discussion we just had, there are individuals that from time to time, it's like once every 15 years, will utilize the Jennings law on uh, ungulate herds. But primarily the Jennings law is, is there for like, for example, bear interactions. So you've got a bear in town. The department of game and fish can't get there in time. You need the ability to protect your property right then and there.
0: Roger that. Yeah. And and I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but if you exercise jenning on like elk per se, there's a chance that if you were in a primary zone in New Mexico and you were part of the E plus program, there's a good chance you could be disqualified for the following year because basically you just took out something of great value. Is that correct?
1: Exactly. And that kind of goes back to another structure of the E plus system. So there's three different management zones within the E plus system, the primary zone, the special zone, and the secondary zone. The primary zone is the most heavily regulated because that is the zone where the department of game and fish is focusing like the bulk of their management efforts to the elk population So in order as a property to qualify for those primary zone tags, you have to really do a lot. You have to prove cover, you have to prove water, you have to prove forage. You get different points for all of these different aspects. And then that dictates how many permits you qualify for. So, um, you know, the argument that's been made in the past that, you know, Joe Blow, who has five acres, you know, next to some... City is going to qualify for E-plus is not the way that it works anymore. There is very specific um, rules that you have to abide for and you have to provide meaningful benefit to elk in order to receive tags.
0: Okay. And I don't, man, I don't have an issue with people receiving tags or whatever. That's fine. Um, One thing that I don't like a lot, and maybe you can persuade me to like it more, is you call it a free market i kind of felt like it was a black market like so i'm not saying understand it cuz i do but i don't like the lack of regulation if i have 500 grand i go scoop up a bunch of tags and then i can flip them and it's just like a you know like anything you can buy a house and flip it you can buy used trucks these days and flip them with our market but ultimately it gets it seems from my view and Maybe I'm ignorant. It seems when I bought my landowner tag, dude, it was like weird and shady. We're talking PayPal, Venmo, code numbers. Is my code going to work? Is this person a real per- – like it, it it, wasn't like very well written. There's not a lot of good language. Like if it's your first time like my, like I was, it was like really intimidating. And it seemed like, man, there's got to be a way to like make this a little more legit – or legitimate in the way that I feel comfortable sending a guy $1,200, which is cheap, uh, Venmo for a Unit 9 tag. Because that's what I did. Like a stranger. Like a like a dude who was selling them for the broker that actually bought it from the... See what I'm saying? So what's your guys' thoughts on that?
1: Sorry. sorry back up. You caught my attention with something you said. You bought a $1,200 bull tag in Unit 9?
0: I got a cheap landowner tag. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, so that description that you provided uh, your entire experience, I just find to be very abnormal. Honestly, I would argue that the E plus program is actually more heavily regulated than it would be if we went to a straight trespass fee system. And that's because each landowner permit is associated with a number and they are all required to pay gross receipts taxes on and the Department of Taxation and Revenue follows that very closely. Now outfitters pay gross receipts taxes anyways, because they're, they're small business owners and so mm-hmm. they're required. So they can offer the landowner what's called a non-taxable certificate um, to waive them of that responsibility. But the, the responsibility to pay the gross receipts tax for the landowner permit actually falls on the landowner. So taxation and revenue will come after you if you're not paying the appropriate gross receipts taxes on the landowner permit. So I just, I feel like everything you experienced was a little bit abnormal. And I wish I kind of knew all the details because maybe, you know, maybe there's, there's a major violation in there somewhere. I'm not sure. And I don't know who the individuals are that you're referring to. Um, But a $1,200 tag in unit nine for a bull elk is crazy cheap and so that to me is is alarming
0: i wouldn't pay a hundred dollars to hunt there ever again just so you know but the, the 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 average price for a good decent landowner tag let's say you go south of nine you go into 15 or then you go further south into the gila Uh, Depending if you're going to be with an outfit or not, you're looking at um, eight to twelve thousand upwards of fourteen. Just and it's just the market. Like I understand that, Um, and you get what you pay for. But the bottom line is, is that I'm saying to you, your tags are for sale on different Craigslist throughout the state, and it's weird, and it kind of breeds some corruption for those bad bad apples that want to like. I don't know. It'd be cool if there was some sort of like standardized website, some sort of reformation where like it was really black and white on buying the tag. It is a little Western at the moment. I guess that was my point. It's just a little Western. And if that's just, hey, the cost of doing business to hunt New Mexico, there's plenty of people willing to put up with that to have an opportunity. And I understand that
1: yeah uh, like I said i I really am having a hard time like absorbing what happened to you because I do find it like so out of the realm of normalcy and I there is there are lists published by the Department of Game and Fish where you can go and and look up the landowner and the number mm-hmm. um, and, and find additional information. You're right I mean there are landowner permits that are sold on Craigslist and because they're not because they're transferable you know you can change hands several times. But I guess what I would say is they it's not that they're not regulated because they are. And a landowner, you know, perhaps might get some bad information and go through some, some shady shady chains the first time. But I guarantee you when taxation revenue comes knocking on their door for back pay for back taxes in the amount of like twelve thousand dollars, they're never gonna do it again. And they'll try, they'll try real hard to get legitimate real fast.
0: You said, you kind of talked about like, here's why I think we should let the landowners have tags versus make the landowners just have to charge trespass fees or lease their land. I, for one, I don't really have a dog in the fight, so I could be persuaded either way. But I got to tell you it from a non-resident view. Yeah, man, like these landowners, they got the land. The elk are on their land. Like, I'll give you an example. Down, I can't say the unit. You know how that goes. But my best friend guides on an awesome unit, highly sought. It's in the Gila. We'll say Gila. That's that's pretty broad. The guy he works for, the outfitter, leases the land from a ranch, gets X amount of tags. And this this guy, this outfitter, is badass, man. He gets upwards of like 50 bull elk tags, and he is smart. He only sells like twenty of them. He he eats the other thirty because sustainability wise, for his business, because he's a businessman. And then what he does there is he's got all the water, and all the all the public doesn't have water, so he doesn't have to stress. Like those elk will be on that ranch, and it's awesome that that program is cool. But if you were to take away those landowner tags, he could still lease that land. And charge probably even more because they got the water. And people would pay incredible trespass fees because the elk are there. And then his only concern would be to make sure that he's good at business and marketing. And that word gets out that when you draw that Gila tag, if you want a damn good elking experience, come talk to this outfitter. Uh, And so part of me likes that. But also, I'm sure that would stress that guy out because he's used to those set aside tags every year, you know. But it could work either way, in my opinion, is what I'm saying, because there is a demand and there's only a certain amount of supply. And if elk are on private, you can lease your land and then you're not really getting tags that are kind of North American model managed by the state, so to speak. Do you feel what I'm saying? Like that angle of, okay, so what's your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. So in the podcasting world, I believe they call this a mid-roll advertisement. Anyways, I'm interrupting the podcast to hopefully have your attention to let you know these companies support Oak Shape and make this thing possible. Shout out to Buck Knives and Post Falls, Idaho, Spy Point USA. These trail cameras are affordable and they have the blue collar people in mind. They have both cellular and non-cellular trail cameras. Great price points and they work and they will enhance your game. Numa Outdoors with their 2021 lineup live. Check them out at numaoutdoors.com. Discount code Elkshape20, take 20% off. Matthews Archery out of Sparta, Wisconsin. My favorite bow in hand, best shooting, most dependable, awesome technology, solid engineering. Go shoot the new bow at your local dealer. Black Rifle Coffee Company out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Veteran owned. They give a lot back to veterans. They're pro 2A. They're pro hunting. And they make damn good coffee. Discount code ElkShape, 15% off. Kafaro International. I rock the hoodlum. I rock the 22 mag. Check it out at kafarointernational.net. Crispy USA. I rock the Colorados. The Nevadas. See for yourself. No break in period. Made in Italy. World class craftsmanship. Next time you're doing some boot shopping, be sure to check out Crispy USA. Vortex Optics, Vortex Nation, Vortex Wear. Discount code is ElkShape 20% off any apparel. Check out their UHDs, their Razor 4000, their spotters, and they have a lot of things when it comes to rifles that I don't know much about. Vortex Optics, veteran known out of Wisconsin. Love this company, longest-standing partnership. Be sure to support Vortex with their VIP warranty, transferable, lifetime. You break it, they fix it. Wilderness athlete. I discovered them in 2006. One of the best supplement companies out there, not a marketing company. Use the discount code Elkshape30 on your first purchase and save 30%. Last but not least, if you're buying any gear, go to blackovus.com. Be sure to enter Elkshape at checkout and get 10% off your purchase. Back to the podcast.
1: I I totally get that. And and we could go to a, a straight trespass fee system. We could. And the outfitting industry would survive. There's no doubt about it. But why would we want to do that when the system that we have is working? It's not broken. I mean, contrary to popular belief by some organizations, it's not broken, and it works really well, and it's actually very mutual beneficial, and it it fills shortcomings where just a straight trespass fee system would fall short. And so the biggest thing to me about going to a straight trespass fee system, coming at it from the other side, from the public land hunter side, it is not really related to the private landowner being able to provide you know, access to their private property for a fee at all. It's that the, the belief is that all of those tags would go back, be distributed back through the public land draw. And that to me is an extremely dangerous place to be because you're, you're basically talking about roughly doubling the amount of pressure on the public land. And the only thing that that is going to do is further exacerbate um, landowner wildlife conflict because it's going to push the wildlife further onto the private property. And then the hunting pressure on the public land is going to be so intense that um, hunter satisfaction is going to drop, success rates are going to drop. So like, why, why would we want to do that from a public land hunter side of the issue? We don't, we don't want to destroy what we have.
0: Yeah, I mean, there would be ways to mitigate that, but you're right. Like, it's not going to solve the entire issue. For example, not a huge fan of how you guys spread out your archery season. You got the 1st to the 14th. You got the 15th to the 24th. It's it. That's it. It's over. Muzzy's coming up early October where – look at states like Montana where you have six weeks of – archery elk hunting that disperses hunting pressure out not everybody can take vacation like in the state i live in oh my god we have a 12-day season that's it for archery in september and boy does it overcrowd public land and so i could appreciate your view as far as you know why would we want to do that well you you would want to do that because maybe the trespass fee would work itself out it might take a few years some people you know like any business survival of the fittest, the cream rises to the top. Um, but what, I guess what I would campaign for, and this is actually my only real argument I had written down today, Carrie. And so here it is. And I'm very interested to see, here's what I don't like. Uh, let's go back to unit nine. Yo. So unit nine, Floyd Lee ranch is like a huge ranch in unit nine. It, a lot of their land surrounds unit nine. And Floyd gets X amount of tags and he leased them to the said outfitter. I'm not going to say his name again. I don't want to promote him or even any publicity to this guy, but he gets all these tags. I don't even know, Carrie, if they were ranch only or unit wide tags. I have no idea. I suspect they were ranch only considering that Floyd leaves in the E plus program, those tags, he sells off to one guy, one outfitter, and then you have, I don't know how many guys like. Could be 50, you would know maybe, but 50 plus archery guys are coming in to hunt his ranch, yet his outfitters are all on the public land side as well. Here's my concern.
1: Here's my concern. That is a 100% violation of the way that the E plus system works. So you have to indicate whether or not your ranch is going to be ranch only or unit wide. And to be clear, most ranches are ranch only. There are only about 15% of the tags in um, in the primary and special zone that are unit-wide. And and the ones that are in the secondary zone are all required to be ranch-only anyway. So basically only 15% of the total landowner tags are unit-wide. And there's valid reasons why you would want as a landowner or why you would be incentivized through a unit-wide tag. But if you have a ranch only tag, you cannot leave the deeded acreage. So even if you have a ranch that has deeded acreage and you have some public land near you or you have some public land that is inside your ranch, you cannot legally operate on that property. So that is 100% a violation of the way that things are. And that's why I was saying like, it would be interesting to kind of learn more about what you experienced because it could straight up be a game violation that that we could push through the department of game and fish, because I don't like to hear stories like that because it, it, it kind of makes everybody sound like they're illegitimate and like everybody's doing that. There's, They're not doing that They're, You know, the vast majority of outfitters are law abiding outfitters and they work really hard to, um, you know, navigate all of the business hoops that are required. And and there are a lot. I mean, if you, you operate on the Forest Service or the BLM, there are a lot of hoops you have to jump through in order to be legitimate. And these guys do it. So it'd be interesting to hear more maybe offline about your experience because it's very tr- troubling to me what you what you experienced. And if you were on a ranch only tag, then you were completely illegally hunting on public land.
0: Because I guess this is what I would like to see. And again, I don't, my opinion doesn't really matter. I understand that. Get rid of the unit wide. Great. Like the tag I bought, the elk are never on this dude's during hunting season. It was worthless. And so why do some landowners get to participate and leave their gates unlocked and open to the public and others like floyd lee are like nope button it up if you have conflict with wildlife or you want to you know you definitely do things that are beneficial for wildlife and you are rewarded with some tags and maybe you sell them off and maybe that helps cover some of your property tax or god who knows all your expenses as a property owner you should have the elk hunted on your land and if it's like, well, the elk are only on my property in the, you know, in the winter, well, then do a shoulder season for cows or something and allow that landowner for that tag to be when they, when these animals are coming on, if that's really, truly the goal. But to have unit-wide tags, to me, that's just like a shortcut for me. I got deep pockets. I can buy whatever tag I want, and I will probably never hunt the actual uh, ranch that got the tag. I'll never hunt there. I'll be wherever the biggest bull is. And so what do you think about that? Like from my view, I kind of don't like the unit wides. That would be like the one thing that like like I wanted to hammer home today, but I want to hear what you think about that, obviously.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think unit wide is hard for people to understand. And I mean, you just basically explained why it's hard for people to understand, but you have to sort of back up and remember why the E plus system exists in the first place. And it's, it's, it really is an incentive and, you know, a, a reward, if you will, for good stewardship. So there are individuals within the unit wide system that let's say they've got twelve. Hundred elk on them during calving season, but they don't have any elk on them during elk season. I I understand that, you know, it really doesn't benefit anybody for them to open up their property to public land hunters because there's not elk on them on that type of year. But at the same time, they have just raised, you know, 600 or whatever baby elk for you. Uh, That is a resource, you know, for the public land hunter. And without those improvements and the you know the facilitating the wildlife habitat on the private land we wouldn't have those elk at all and it's really important to understand i know that private land owners everywhere contribute to wildlife conservation wildlife habitat but in new mexico it is especially a big deal because in new mexico we don't have much water so if the private landowners weren't providing the water that they're providing, you would not see the disbursement of game populations the way that they are. If landowners turned off their waters or even grazing, you know, permittees, public land grazing permittees, if they weren't there to manage those waters and to keep those waters running, you would not see wildlife distributed throughout the state the way that they are. So it's, amazingly important what these landowners are providing. And maybe you've got a guy, uh, you know, that has the only water for, you know, however many mile radius and he, but he's only got 50 acres of private land. So then he gets, you know, he, he opens his 50 acres and then he qualifies for a UNWIDE TAG as sort of a, a reimbursement for, the fact that he's basically watering all of of the animals on the public land and that that's a legitimate scenario in the Gila where there's a high high level of public land and you know the public land management agencies you know, no offense they do a terrible job of managing their or maintaining you know their infrastructure and waters is a huge part of that if you go around to any of the public lands and you see the public land drinkers that are managed by the public land management agency, they're empty, they're broken, they, they don't function. The ones that are working are the ones that are on the private land and the ones that are maintained by the public land grazing lease. Gotcha. So that's sort of like, like the pitch for why unit-wide might exist for an individual who doesn't necessarily have elk on their property during hunting season. But there are also a number of landowners and people might find this hard to believe, but, you know, New Mexico is a checkerboarded state. We have a lot of checkerboard land and there's ranches that have uh, checkerboard property and landowners legitimately just want to be able to provide access to not only to other hunters in exchange for a unit wide tag, but it's also their own hunters. You know, if you've got a ranch that has a lot of public land within it, then you can't access that legally without... Having a unit wide tag. But like I said, the unit wide tags are really not, there's not that many of them within the system. The, the majority are ranch only, but they open the unit wide tags open over half a million acres of private land to public land hunters. And I know people will argue with me, you know, that, oh, well, the gates are closed and it's walk in only or, you know, like you can't find the maps, uh, but that's private land that would be inaccessible if this program went away. That is currently open now. And with a little bit of legwork, you can figure out on Onyx where exactly these unit-wide ranches are and you can outline them, you know, and, you know, there's a system on the Department of Game and Fish website that is really easy. You can see everything's electronic. You can see exactly where these ranches are, a little bit of legwork, and you'll know exactly how to access this private land. And it's it's half a million acres. It's substantial.
0: Jesse Dubell, executive director, New Mexico Wildlife Federation, whatever. He was on here and he brought up a point that was interesting then you're a lobbyist so you're going to have a good rebuttal so i want to hear it here's the deal like when you get when you got a chunk of land and you put it on the market for sale a lot of these listings whether it be on zillow or you name it they are actually advertising how many landowner tags for elk they get as kind of like a listed asset of the property And it's like he literally sent me links and I saw dozens. So I was like, okay, this isn't just a one example, but they are kind of like, oh, hey, check out this public resource that I'm selling as part of one of the things I have to offer uh, when you buy my 100 acres or 500,000 acres. Uh, Are you cool with that or do you feel like that's kind of like that's a little gray?
1: I mean, I think it's situational. I think it depends if you've got like a huge ranch that has uh, base allocation tags. So basically that means that they get them year after year. Then I, I, I don't think it's out of line to sort of um, draw that into the income producing ability of the ranch itself. Now I have run personally run into situations with uh, individuals who have bought properties off of or say so. Um, and, and it's not anything close to what the realtor had advertised. So that to me would kind of go into the bad apples here category of the, um, you know, the real estate industry. But I mean, I think it's kind of situational. Sure. If you're advertising 50 elk tags on 50 acres of land, then that's probably not legitimate. But if you're, if, if as a real estate company, you're sort of advertising the potential of your base allocation that, that the property has received historically. And it's, it's important to remember that the E plus system is 40 years old. So this is well ingrained into the history of wildlife management in our state. So I don't think it's out of line completely for real estate companies to advertise, um, you know, the income producing ability of the property.
0: Okay. Um, This is where I kind of wanted to finish. And again, I'm just going to like pass the ball to you. Cause I'm just, like I said, I wanted to have someone on your side here and I kind of want to stay out of it. So you got your entity, you got these, you know, BHA chapter and you got new, other ones like New Mexico wildlife federation. And then you got dudes like me that just basically want to go elk hunting in New Mexico. Cause it's freaking awesome there. Let's say we all get to the table. People are wanting some things changed. There's people that don't want absolutely anything anything changed but we're all meeting at the table where in your crystal ball would you see a potential for people to compromise poquito to for the bigger picture for the basically to benefit the elk long term is it do we just keep stay the course you got your e plus program you got six percent up to six percent going to diy or non-resis up to ten percent of the tags allocated to those that hire an outfitter and you can hire an outfitter for two days and play the game um, or hire the true outfitter for the whole experience. And then the rest to residents, does it need to change at all? Obviously like, tell us about the future. Like would people be willing to compromise to meet in the middle somewhere?
1: I'll go back. Cause that's, that's been brought up quite a bit in your podcast. So I, I want to go back to the outfitter pool. And I know that there's uh, you know, a lot of, discontent with the outfitter pool. It's been referred to as a welfare system and it's not a welfare system. It is a business incentive. It was established over 20 years ago as a way to promote New Mexico businesses, small business owners, uh, outfitters, um, and provide incentive for individuals and it's resident or non-resident. You can apply right. in the outfitter pool as a resident. Right. And, um, you know, th- these individuals, these business owners are are providing employment in rural areas. They're paying New Mexico gross receipts taxes. They help facilitate tourism. So it was a business incentive. And to make it sound like the that the outfitting industry is a welfare industry um, and it's the only industry that that has this sort of a business incentive is completely false. I mean, there's New Mexico, film tax credits. There's all kinds of new business incentives for the cannabis industry. Agriculture has various different exemptions that are business incentives. So it's a business incentive. Now there, you know, there's a much longer conversation that we could have about the outfitter pool and whether or not the outfitting industry would survive without it. But really the way that the public land draw system in New Mexico is structured. There's so few tags in the outfitter pool already that it doesn't, it doesn't make that much of a difference to complain about if you are a resident. We're not stealing anything from anyone. Now, the do-it-yourself hunter, the do-it-yourself non-resident thinks that okay, they get six percent and we get 10%. So that is, you know, robbing from that pool. But in reality, when you look at the draw odds. Your odds as a non-resident do-it-yourself are actually more favorable in your 6% pool than if there was just one 16% pool, because then you would have to funnel all of those outfitted non-resident hunters back into one pool. And so instead of competing with, because the draw is conducted on a hunt code basis, instead of competing with let's just say for example 300 individuals in a hunt code then you're competing with 900 individuals in a hunt code so your draw odds are actually better as a non-resident do-it-yourselfer with the outfitter pool separate than if it was all together now the residents they just you know are upset because they they want more tags and i say the residents but honestly. I think that a lot of residents do understand the importance of both the private land system and also the outfitter pool and the non-resident opportunity the do it yourself opportunity. So I shouldn't lump all resident hunters into the same category. But BHA and the Wildlife Federation have positioned themselves as a resident preference as resident preference organizations and their mission is to provide resident hunters with more opportunity. But since there is basically a finite resource of game, you can't create more game, they have to take from the non-residents to provide more opportunity to the residents. But it's really important to understand that when we're talking about the draw, that the resident hunters in New Mexico already have 90% of the tag. They get 100% of the cow elk tags in the public land draw, and they get 100% of the wildlife management area tags in the public land draw. So they're already getting 90% of the tags. The 84% and then the 10% pool and then the 6% pool, that's just how the calculation is done on a hunt code basis. But when you look on a total tag basis, 90% of the tags are going to New Mexico residents. Distracted. I know that that, the outfitter pool thing kind of caught my ear, but I know you added more to that that original statement, which was kind of like the future of working together. And I will say that that. I think that the E plus ship has sailed. I mean, we basically, our organizations got together. Um, previously in prior years. And then most recently, like just a year ago, the Wildlife Federation and the Council of Outfitters and Guides, we kind of tried to get together to meet in the middle. And and we can't seem to find a middle ground. The Wildlife Federation and BHA are very focused on providing more opportunity for New Mexico resident hunters. And the way they want to do that is to take away from the private land system. So they've kind of beat the drums of war and they've continually got louder and louder and louder and so we're in a we're in a position now where we're on total defense mode to protect the e plus system there's really no room for negotiation there I mean
0: yeah that's kind of what want I to was, talk I was, about I was, the
1: outfitter pool that's fine but
0: no that's what I was asking and that it's good to hear you know your side honestly just because yeah um I wanted to know like change is inevitable we know this And hunting elk is pretty damn popular right now. It's not going to go out of style. It's so cool. And I love it. Um, But we all want elk to be here for future generations. How that ends up shaking out, Carrie, only time will tell. But I was curious to see if y'all could had any common ground that you were sharing. Sounds like that's no. And then, you know, I think we've made it abundantly clear that you and I both agree the outfitters are awesome. I'm sure there's a few that get business out of the 10% allocation that maybe don't do as good a job, but that's every state.
1: Definitely.
0: That's just every state. And then the E-plus program, like I mentioned a few reformations, you weren't super stoked on them, but ultimately that's your guys' thing to figure out. Not me. I'm in Washington, man. I don't have a say. If I can get a tag through the draw, you know, cool. One thing I really like about New Mexico's draw is that there's no bonus points involved. Like Everyone's got a fair shake. Uh, it's a must-apply-to state for all you non-residents listening because there's no preference, no bonus points, no nonsense. It's just straight-up luck. I've been putting in since I drew in 2006, 2007, and I haven't drawn a tag since, and I put in every year. Maybe I'll draw, maybe I won't, but when I do, you're damn sure I'm going to like be very excited to come down and hunt. It's special. It's an incredible state, and I think we can agree on that.
1: I totally agree with you. And I will say that, you know, the rally cries of not being able to draw a tag have become louder and louder. And, you know, some of the the blame has been, you know, placed on various different industries, the private land system, the outfitting industry. But honestly, when you look at the numbers, the reason that people are having problems drawing is really because there's just a, a huge Booming interest in the industry, and that is good. Yeah. So it's, you know, I know it's frustrating to not be able to draw a tag, but, you know, in I think in New Mexico this year, there was approximately 20,000 tags that went, elk tags that went through the public land draw. And I think there was like seventy six thousand people applied or something. I mean, that's yep. that's just minuscule odds, no matter how you cut it. Whether it's there's an outfitter pool or a DIY pool or they're a hundred percent resident, it's just difficult because there's a lot of interest in you know something that that has basically a, a minimal supply. It's just basic supply and demand, and so I, I know it can get frustrating, but that's the thing that's kind of nice about new mexico is that i mean you can buy a landowner tag if if you just really really want to hunt new mexico and you weren't successful in the draw you have that opportunity to purchase a landowner tag if you want to
0: cool what is the name of your guys's website if somebody wanted to scroll through your uh, outfitter directory
1: sure it's nmoutfitters.com. so nm like new mexico outfitters.com
0: and your contact information is probably on that website as well, if somebody wanted to reach out or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, that's cool. Anything else you want to add to this conversation?
1: Oh, well, there was like two other things that I thought maybe we could chat about, but it doesn't really seem relevant. I mean, we basically tried to stick with E plus and the draw. Um, there was a couple of tangents that some of the other podcasts got off on that I kind of wanted to correct the record for, but I'm not sure how much it matters. And that just kind of be the stream access issue. And then Jesse had brought up something about the way that bighorn sheep tags are distributed. And I really don't think that most people even really caught it. Um, because you know, it's difficult to understand if you're not, if you don't deal with it, um, you know, on a regular basis. So I'm sure not many people caught it, but Those were two other things. If you had interest I could elaborate. If not, I'm fine.
0: Well we should have done, although not today. I I would have loved or maybe down the road, although I really don't wanna be in the middle of it. Um it would be fun to have you and Jesse on at the same time. Um but you know, when I run a debate, unlike on TV, like you have two minutes and you're gonna be cut off.
1: Like onto the, you know, so maybe it's a fantastic idea. You know, it's funny, Jesse and I are actually friends in real life and we were at a game commission meeting the other day and we were outside chatting after the meeting and somebody came out and said, Oh my gosh, I should take a picture and post it on Instagram. It's, you know, we're friends in real life. Well,
0: here's the thing about real life. You're a hunter. He's a hunter. I'm a hunter. Let's, let's find the threads that are common. And we'll figure out the rest down the road. But let's not be divided because at the end of the day, there are way more people against hunting than for. And I'm loving this growth and this boom. And I want to ride this wave a long ways. Like, I want hunting to be cool, man. Like, I want these elk to have a high value because then we'll keep, you know, we'll have them, right? Like, that's the truth. So, that's why I was not even. I didn't even hesitate to have you come on when you reached out. I was like, hell yes, come on down, Carrie. And if you thought I was going to come out swinging, I wasn't. I'm just going to bring up a few points that concern me, and also just also make it abundantly clear that I'm not a resident of your state. Um, but uh, I got love for New Mexico. I got love for Outfitters. I got love for those blue collar public land DIYers, non-res n-res, and res. Um, and all of us need to find common thread. If you guys like what you heard. Definitely reach out if you need anything. Carrie's contact information, I will include a link in the show notes so that you can get a hold of them or whatever. And um, yeah, maybe we'll have Jesse and Carrie come back on down the road and we'll do a debate my style where you have two minutes to state what you need to state and then you're cut off next person's counterpoint we move on. So that'll be cool.
1: Sounds good, Dan. I appreciate it. Appreciate your time today and your willingness to have a conversation. And I completely agree with you. I mean, we need to find our, our middle of ground just as a hunting community in general, because we've got a lot of, uh, of the deck stacked against us. And so we really need to, to find where we can all agree and march forward with that.
0: Awesome. Carrie, if you need anything, reach out Um, the show, will get published in about five or six weeks. And I will be sure to shoot you an email the week prior so you know when it's going to drop. And, um, again, thank you for your time.
1: Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Take care.
0: All right. Likewise. All right, guys. There you go. Carrie's cool, man. Um, Sure, her and I don't completely agree on everything. But I definitely appreciate that she was willing to come on. She had some great points. She's a hunter. She has my respect. There's no question there. I wanted to finish this podcast with an email I got, and I haven't read it, to be honest with you. After I read the first couple of lines, I was like, oh, God. But uh, just know if you send me an email, dude, I might read it online. And that's part of the risk you're going to take for, for this. So <clears throat> this is from Justin. He sent this back in, um, on November 8th. Dan, I have debated writing this email for over a week now, and I decided I had to as I couldn't hold back. I understand you are disappointed and I understand you are disgruntled about your experience with your landowner tag, but when you are going to have someone on your podcast who gives the opposite viewpoint on the E-plus program. Well, we did that today, Justin. He continues on. If you want to be transparent, then why haven't you done a deep dive on E-plus, BHA, and those who want to change the system so your listeners could be also informed of their underlying agendas? When listening to your podcast, it's easy to see how the average listener would be outraged. I would be too. But the truth is, for the most part, the E-plus system helps elk hunters. Sure, there are shady people. And sure, there are things that can be cleaned up. Open gate mapping system, for one, should be way better with the data available on on X. I completely agree. But in the end, taking away the E-plus would hurt hunters you beat the drum that 13,000 elk tags are being stolen from the public, but you fail to mention where those tags are distributed and how many of them are ranch only versus unit wide. For instance, take a unit, take unit 12 with v- vast private ranches. You fail to mention that the public gains a lot of access through the E program. If you break out the numbers unit by unit, you will see that adding those public only tags back into the system would barely even move odd, draw odds a 10th of a percent while eliminating lots of public access. In the end, let's break down the numbers and present actual data, not BHA ideology. Your whole stance on this subject also rests on an assumption that by eliminating ranch only tags would somehow then go to public hands. Well, I believe that to just to be false. I can tell you that ranchers would just shut down access and say, screw it to providing any elk habitat for the elk or doing anything to benefit them. In fact, they would probably then just obtain depredation permits and kill elk like here in Colorado. The public would then have less access, reduce draw odds. And as those private ranch tag clients would then go into a draw there would be worse habitat for the elk I could go on and on but the fact of the matter is I found your podcast to be very lazy and unbalanced one I love being called lazy by the way thank you I get that you want to stick it to USO and get them back in your crusade you're only presenting one viewpoint that has many flaws in fact do some digging on BHA in New Mexico and who supports their cause and you will discover that many anti-hunting and anti trapping organizations in New Mexico are using E plus to be their first battle ground and step to reduce hunting in fact these are the same groups that lobbied and won the anti-trapping movements in new mexico last year anyways i'm not the best with emails and i have many many more thoughts on this subject i think you do a decent job with your platform and from my inner circle of elk hunter archery shops and archery clubs here in colorado who you've met or know you i gather you are a good guy but i really think you have missed the mark on this one I don't know what he's writing here, but it says it took some shots at you in this email, but from listening to you, you sound like you also have thick skin and won't take it personally, but rather welcome the disagreement. I don't have a platform for anything like that. I just have an average hunter. I am just an average hunter who mainly hunts Colorado over the counter, but has hunted New Mexico and both drawn LO tags landowner tag but should ever want to just have a conversation maybe not on a podcast i'd be happy to discuss my viewpoints with you so justin oh man my skin is super thick and isn't it funny that i just did a podcast with someone else on the other side and we had this scheduled for over a month before you sent me this email but um i I guess let me just tell you and the listeners that i am just a normal average dedicated elk hunter who hunts largely public land and so If I have different guests on with different point of views, and I may agree with some of the things they say, and I don't, you have to do your own research, which you've done. You have to form your own opinion, which you've done. And if you are that passionate, you can also pay a couple hundred bucks a year, buy some podcasting equipment, and start your own podcast. I think you listed some great points here. I don't think I disagree with really much of what you said. And I also had Carrie on here today, and I liked what she had to say. And I had... Uh, The BHA, Joel Gay, he had him come on, Uh, Dubell from New Mexico Wildlife Federation. I want to hear everyone's angle, and then I guess I'll just end with, here's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see elk hunting continue on its journey of being available for for my generation, for the next and the next and the next. Do I think privatization of elk tags is cool? To some degree, I do, and to some degree, I don't. I don't think going to trespass fees is a terrible idea, but it definitely would have some kinks and it would have some flaws. And I completely agree with what you said again. Like, if if New Mexico could clean up the uh, website, like, Carrie made it sound like it was super crystal clear, but I'm here to tell you it's murky when you're trying to figure out which ranch is open, which is not, which gate can you go through, which gate are you not allowed. Then you run into, you know, and I don't have a crusade against USO. I don't have a crusade against them at all. They just. F- with the wrong dude and I'm going to put him on blast on my platforms and I would do it to anybody who messes with a public land hunter doing things the right way Uh, and if I was in the wrong I would stand up and say hey I was in the wrong I was trespassing or what have you but obviously I wasn't so Justin I don't mind an email like this at all if you if I lost you as a listener that's okay if I gained your more respect because we shared your view on this podcast, cool. Either way, if you're a hunter and I'm a hunter, then we have way more in common than than that we don't. So therefore, we're homies. You know what I mean? It's uh, It doesn't matter if you're a rifle hunter and I'm a bow hunter or you're a private land hunter and I'm a public land It don't matter to me. We're hunters. We like to kill animals and eat them. And we like conservation and we want animals to be here and we want hunting for the future. Dude, that's all the thread we need. Guys, what's your thoughts on this podcast? Don't email me because I don't, (laughs) I have too many emails to answer. But yeah, comment below in the show notes. Tell me what you think. Share this podcast with someone. And if you know someone that wants to come on this podcast and share their side, Bring them on. We'll hear them out. We can agree to disagree. We can hear from other people even if we don't agree. That's really what I wanted to get across today. Elk hunting is awesome. Elk hunting is a blessing. Elk hunting has changed my life. Elk hunting is something I think about every day and I use it as my ultimate motivator to get up, to get moving, to shoot the bow when it's not convenient. It's dark out right now, to go get the headlights turned on, shoot a few arrows, go out to the garage gym. Break a sweat because the elk don't get days off. Why should I? Or eat a little cleaner. Or watch my diet. Watch my weight. Watch my time on my phone. Watch my time that I spend with my family. Watch my vacation. So, watch my planning, my e scouting, my tag allocation research. Uh, there's always something you can be doing every day in the name of better elk hunting. And I hope that is really all that you truly get from this podcast. And I hope that we leave you motivated and inspired and somewhat educated. I appreciate everyone's support, whether you agree with me or not. Again, I don't always say the best things, and I certainly am a little brash, but at the end of the day, I got love for everybody, and I want Elk to be here for generations to come. Separations and the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one.